May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Reading this gospel story of Jesus in the temple um, for this Sunday made me think that Jesus might have really benefited from uh, going to uh, the clergy wellness day I attended a few weeks back. You know, every now and again, the diocese will offer these conversations for clergy where, where they'll invite us to talk about our feelings and experiences in ministry. And as they go, these gatherings can be very helpful. We talk about the weight of stress and how stress often makes us act out in less than Christian ways. We get irritable and snippy, and often our anger acts out on us. I'm just reporting what the other clergy shared. And so in these gatherings, we pick up tools from one another on how to cope with these difficult emotions. Take a deep breath, recognize them, name them, give them space. But don't fire off that email in that feeling state. Never send that email. Sit with your anger. Don't act on it. Where were rabbi wellness days in Jesus' era? In our culture, managing our emotions is highly valued. Most of us know this by knowing how much trouble we've gotten into when our emotions have gotten out of control. I mean, I wonder how many of us would feel comfortable putting in the chat box how many times we got angry with someone in the last week, or maybe sharing what it was that we got angry about, maybe sharing what we said to our kids this morning as we tried to corral them into place to watch church. We especially value self-control around our emotions and our leaders too, don't we? We expect our leaders to be a step ahead of us, to manage their anger. Say if a video leaked of Biden yelling at one of his aides, many of us would raise an eyebrow. And of course, from our spiritual leaders, we expect even more. And this is what makes this gospel so challenging. Jesus bursts into the temple, likely howling over the sound of cash registers and the chatter of the, of the vendors and the neighing of the livestock. He flings the furniture around and overturns the tables with the energy of a nor'easter wind. Can we trust a savior who has anger issues? Can we follow a Jesus who doesn't meet our expectations for a leader? That's the rub, isn't it? This moment in the temple doesn't feel like the Jesus we've come to know and love. As one of our members in the woman's Bible study said this past week, Jesus isn't being very Christ-like here. We all, quite instinctually, prefer the kinder Jesus, the Jesus of the hymn, 
the king of love my shepherd is, his goodness faileth never. That Jesus, that's the Jesus often of our expectations. Many of us have pictures of Jesus in our homes, of Jesus' clear blue eyes holding a lamb on his shoulders or cradling it in his arms. But how many of us have pictures of Jesus with fire in his eyes and a whip in his hands chasing the lambs out of the temple? We prefer the Jesus of that William Blake poem, The Lamb. Little lamb, who made thee? Dost thou know who made thee? Gave thee life and bid thee feed. By the stream and o'er the mead, gave thee clothing of delight. Softest clothing, woolly bright, gave thee such a tender voice, making all the veils rejoice. Little lamb, who made thee? Dost thou know who made thee? That's the Jesus of our expectations. One of my favorite theologians, Stanley Hauerwas, says that we mainline Christians have one clear conviction about God. One thing we can all agree on, says Hauerwas, is that God is nice. And there's a corollary to that conviction, and that is that we should be nice too. It's the theme of just about every children's sermon. What we want our children to know and believe, God holds you like a little lamb. Not the fierce and wild Jesus. We want our young ones to adult, to know how to control their anger. I wish I had a quarter for every time I heard a Christian say something like, I'm not a big fan of the God of the Old Testament. You know, the moody and vindictive and angry God of the Old Testament. I much prefer the God of love, the one who is nice, the God of the New Testament. And I often want to say, you mean this God of the New Testament? The one with the whip? The one defending and cleansing the temple of that old angry, that Old Testament angry God? Jesus rushes onto the scene and reminds us that God is not the one we can fit into a tidy box. This is not the God of our expectations. Now, I wish I could airbrush this picture of Jesus for us. I wish I could smooth it out and explain this stormy behavior. I wish I could use that classic trick of interpretation and tell you what it means in the original language. Well, to understand this picture of what looks like an angry Jesus, you have to understand that in the original Greek, the word for whip is actually our word for feather duster. I mean, Jesus was just shooing the people out. Now, y'all, go on and get out of here. Or I could point out that what's really going on is that these vendors in the temple selling animals for sacrifice or fixing prices. Or maybe that these money changers who are exchanging the currency of the foreigners who've come in to buy their animals, maybe they are manipulating the exchange rate. 
That's what Jesus is about, is angry about. This is a story of righteous indignation. And that might be so. It doesn't say all that, though. But it might be the case. But still, wouldn't we expect, even if it is righteous indignation, Jesus to act more like Gandhi or MLK Jr.? Facing anger, arousing injustice with calm composure and measured self-control? Wouldn't we expect something more like a nonviolent sit-in in the temple? Isn't that what we'd expect? Well, maybe there's no more meaning of this picture of Jesus than the picture itself. Maybe there's no more meaning to this text than the text itself. Maybe it's just there. Jesus revealing to us a God who won't abide by our expectations. A God who doesn't abide by the norms of polite society. A God we can't fit snugly into the box we've made with the words printed on the outside, God. It reminds me of that wonderful scene in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when all the children have finally got into Narnia and they meet the first creatures of Narnia. They meet the beavers, Mr. and Miss Beaver. Mr. and Miss Beaver welcome them to the dinner table and begin to share the news of what's going on in Narnia. The beavers tell the kids how the white witch has laid a curse upon the land, making it a perpetual winter. But the rumor is, the beavers tell them, is that Aslan is on the move. And you children will meet this Aslan. And Lucy asks, is he a man? And Miss Beaver says, Oh, no, he's not a man. He's a lion, the king of the beasts, the son of the great high king from across the sea. He's the great lion. Well, is he quite safe? asked Susan. I'd feel quite nervous meeting a lion. Miss Beaver says, Oh, of course you'd be nervous. I can't imagine anyone meeting Aslan and not having their knees knocking together. Either you'd be braver than most or just plain silly to do it. And so Lucy says, so he isn't safe then. Safe, says Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe but he's good. Safe is what we expect from God. Good is what we need. The people of Jesus's day didn't think he was safe either. They didn't think that Jesus's outburst in the temple any more agreeable than we do. And so they decided they needed to contain him. And Jesus knew this. He knew they'd try to contain him to put him into the God box. And that's why he says, destroy this temple and in three days raise it up again. He wasn't talking about the temple he was standing in and had just cleansed, the temple of stone that he called his father's house. 
Jesus was talking about the temple of his body. If they were going to contain him, if they were going to destroy the temple of God's presence, his very life. In other words, they'd have to kill him. And when they did kill him, when they did desecrate the temple of his body, there would be no one there to rush in and drive them away. The only whip would be the one lashing his back. The only money being exchanged would be the money paid as a bribe to his betrayer. The only lamb being sold for a sacrifice would be Jesus himself. To contain him, they thought, they'd have to close him in the box of the grave and seal it with a stone. That way we'll be safe, they thought. Safe from Jesus, safe from his meddling, safe from his meddling in our lives, safe from his meddling in our church, his meddling in our world, safe within the box of death. That will keep us safe. Safe. Will that keep us safe? I don't know. But here's what I do know. The boxes we use for God, the boxes that we put one another in, we shouldn't trust them. People are livelier than any descriptor we can give them. Our lives are more full of surprises than all our certainties. God, in his infinite mercy, is a box-smashing God. And that is good news. He is the king of love, and we've been drawn into his reality. He is not safe. But the hymn does have it right. His goodness faileth never. Amen.